Mark Hawkins wanted one thing, to get out of there. The rocks are flying up off of the gravel driveway and hitting the side of the double wide, sounding like gunshots. The people who invited him to the party were total strangers, but they were also his own flesh and blood. My biological dad dove over one of the cars and tried to get in there, and he went flying, and you know, there's people flying everywhere. And a family reunion, or more accurately, a we gave you up for adoption 38 years ago, but want you back in our lives reunion. Howdy. Howdy. <laughs> well, how'd you come, bro? <laughs> Detroit holler. It was a gathering of people with nothing in common other than common DNA. A complete clash of cultures. And yet, it led to something good. I'm Roger Weber. Welcome to Mismatch. Stories of the incompatible, the unsuitable, and the out of step. Mark Hawkins had a great childhood growing up in Michigan. The couple who adopted him gave him everything he needed and wanted. They really doted on me to a fault. How? You know, any new toy they came out I would get, and you know, I was I was spoiled basically, and um, kind of a brat, I suppose. His adoptive parents were both World War II Navy veterans who went on to work for General Motors. They fostered an open, loving relationship with Mark but they told him one big lie. They told me originally that my parents were killed in an auto accident and that um, they got me from the hospital and, and all that and, uh, as an adoption that way. Why do you think your parents told you that? Um, they probably didn't you know, want me to, to search you know, or to, to have it you know, mess up my head. Or, I'm not sure exactly why. They, they just uh, didn't want to be involved with that. Any, uh, anymore and wanted to create a new life for me, I guess, you know, without me having to wonder about what, what it would have been. When Mark was about 18, he snooped through his mom and dad's file cabinet. The adoption papers proved there was no fatal crash, just a woman who decided to give him up. But Mark decided not to say anything because I, I'm pretty sure that they didn't want me to, to get involved with that. Otherwise, they wouldn't have told me the, the lie that they told me about it uh, or hidden it from me. His adoptive parents had died by the time he received a startling email at his office. It says, uh, there's a large family that's been looking for you if you're Mark Hawkins and uh, this is our name and you know, then you know, contact us and let us know what you think. You know, I, I showed it to my boss, and uh, we agreed it was a 10 on the weird shadow meter. <laughs> the message had come from Mark's biological brother, who lived in West Virginia. He knew Mark's birthday. Uh, he evidently broke his leg and decided while he was off work that he would search for me. Mark shared it with his wife, Rita. It's a huge decision. I mean, do you want to be part of another family after you've lived your whole life with another one? You know, even though they've passed on, you know, it was still Mark's family, his memories from childhood and, and everything. It was just, you know, it was like, should we proceed was the big question. Mark talked things over with Rita and his friends. After a week, he emailed back that, yes, he's the guy they're looking for. 
but he wasn't sure about accepting an invitation to come to West Virginia. His brother, their biological parents, and the rest of the family wanted to meet him. The Southerners tried to break the ice by shipping some goodies north, a quilt, some candles, and peanut brittle. Seemed like nice people to do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it did soften me up a little bit, peanut brittle. <laughs> you really can't go wrong with peanut brittle. But another item in the mail made Mark uneasy. Mark shows me a home video shot by the West Virginia family. Hey, just watching that. What's doing, buddy? We're looking at huh? a, uh, a raccoon. It's in the house. What's he doing, Zane? Uh, something that most of us wouldn't, would be very uncomfortable with. What's he doing? Here's a, a picture of um, the raccoon with a baby bottle in between its feet and it's um, drinking the milk out of a baby bottle um, like a baby. Um, another thing that we probably wouldn't see much in Detroit. You know, there was a, sh a sharp accent, which, which to me sounds kind of rednecky, uh, just because I wasn't exposed to it. So I would think, you know, redneck. You, you, you have your own biases. Yeah, I, I definitely did. Uh, it's, it's a whole different, you know, world, actually. One by one, family members were introduced on that VHS tape. Mark was leaning toward turning down the chance to meet them. On the other hand, he figured he could learn about any health issues that ran in the family. Also, a reunion would mean a lot to his biological family. Rita agreed. Uh, part of it was a medical and part of it was I was just being nosy. I wanted to see what they looked like. I wanted to meet other, I, I had no in-laws. Several months after hearing from the first family, Mark and Rita packed their bags and headed to West Virginia. Well, we got everything ready. We decided we would drive. And the Wings were, were playing in the playoffs at that time. And so I wanted to get down there and get situated. And we stayed in a hotel in Charleston. Uh, we went to dinner that night. And in my salad were giant carpenter ants. <laughs> and I, 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 I kind of thought of it as being an omen. The next day, they drove to the holler, the Appalachian term for a valley between mountains. Their home movie camera would capture the experience. This is the beginning of our trip to West Virginia. Back up, you. Coming up, a family reunion Mark and Rita were not expecting. A report by Gallup Healthways lists West Virginia as worst in the nation for well-being. That includes personal health, finances, and motivation to achieve goals. The challenges in Appalachia, including unemployment, drug addiction, and single-parent homes, are detailed in J.D. Vance's best-selling book, Hillbilly Elegy. Vance grew up in a dysfunctional family in southern Ohio and Kentucky, yet graduated from Yale Law School. Many people overcome the challenges of living in Appalachia. Mark Hawkins' description of his West Virginia family is often harsh, but the initial jolt of meeting them gradually gives way to a softer attitude about Appalachia. As you drive toward the place, you begin to see some eye-openers. Yeah, um, what I call the Church of Exxon. It, it was a, a combination church, but it, on the outside of the church was a filling station. 
very odd. Winding through the valley, they pass signs saying, Welcome Mark and Rita. Big lettering on his name, small lettering on her name. In there were many different types of dwellings. There were ones that looked like, you know, tumble-down shacks and other ones that looked, well, they were double-wides. And then there was a couple of them that were kind of nice houses. Each one was different all the way down. It increased our anticipation as we were getting closer. It was like, well, are we in a nice house? Are we in a shack? It was like kind of like a mystery date. Open the door and what kind of family are you really going to get? <laughs> See, you're getting closer. Mark, uh, keep coming. And Rita. The video shows them turning left into the driveway and heading up a steep grade to the home of his mystery family. It's impossible to avoid noticing a cemetery. It was right next to the driveway. So when you get out of the car, you're standing in the cemetery. And um, the gravestones, some of them were the four-way tire irons that you use um, for uh, your lug nuts on your car. Oh, it was supposed to be in the shape of a cross. That was, that was taking the place of a, a cross was the tire iron. And they would have the embossed tape um, guns, and they would say Grandpa or Uncle Joe or whatever, and that would be stuck to it. What did you think when you saw that? I was shocked. I've never seen a cemetery like that. They turned their attention to the people waiting at the top of the driveway, Mark's biological brother and his mother. Rita is running the home movie camera as Mark briefly embraces them. We just said hello, basically. It wasn't like it, there was no tears or, or really, emo it was more of a, like you were uh, meeting someone's family that you didn't know, like you were going, like if I was going over to Rita's uh, parents' house for the first time. They looked like me a little bit, and it was kind of shocking. It was like you had to get used to the idea of it while it was going on. Rita, describe where they're living. It was uh, a double wide, but it was nicely decorated. Um, she had, they had all the modern appliances and um, their cars were newer. Mark meets his father, who wears a baseball cap over a shock of white hair. When, when, I, when I saw him, he looked just like me pretty much. I mean, he, he looked like an older version of me, probably what I'll end up looking like in another 20 years or something. Mark is also a dead ringer for the brother who first contacted him. A younger sister joins them and their parents for a family photo. Folks are laughing, enjoying stories, beverages, and food from the grill. And then the craziness begins. Uh, all of a sudden I hear this, this bang, like bang, 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 and like gunshots. And I'm by the window, I'm in the sink area, and I look out the window and Rita's outside gesturing wildly and making this face, you know, like something's wrong, really wrong, you know. And so I think, you know, they're shooting at her, you know. They, not only did they put her name in little letters, but now they're shooting at her. You know, they, they want me for themselves. They're going to, you know, put me in the brine pot or whatever. So I, I go out, outside, and what it is is that my biological father's current wife is angry that she wasn't invited to the party. 
So she is doing donuts on this 45 degree angle gravel driveway with other people's cars there that she's hitting with her car and swearing like, I mean, both my parents were in the Navy and they would have blushed. I mean, it was serious foul language, right? She was on fire. She was so angry. So the rocks are flying up off of the gravel driveway and hitting the side of the double wide, sounding like gunshots. My biological dad dove over one of the cars and tried to get in there and he went flying. So somebody called the state police. They showed up. The police suggested that maybe they want to take her to a hospital for observations. They said, oh no, don't bother. She'll be fine. And what's no. going through your mind now about being down there? You know, what you do for marriage, I tell you. <laughs> we had already invested several months into a meeting. We weren't going to back out. It was really getting rough, though. I mean, we, there, was, there was times where Mark and I would have just liked to have hopped in the car and left. But, the party has you know, a long way to go. It's not as extreme as Fraser Crane meeting Gomer Pyle, but sometimes it feels that way. So they um, were starting to cook up a couple of hors d'oeuvres for everybody to eat. And it looked delicious. So I had some and um, I'm eating it. And I'm realizing that this does not taste like my food in Detroit, what I am used to. And so I said, what is this? And they said, oh, it's venison. Rita's expression turns sour. She doesn't like the idea of eating venison though her husband and plenty of other northerners like it. Mark eventually takes over grilling duties. He cooks ribs in the backyard near rocks jutting out from the slope of the mountain. Not only was I boiling hot from being in the sun like that and in front of a grill, I literally had a wet towel around my head and kept spraying it with the hose. And He strikes up a conversation with a guy who is a friend of the family. They have fishing in common, that's good. The man talks about reeling in a huge fish he calls a perch. When Mark says no fish that big could be a perch, the man is annoyed. Then he, he was chewing, he was chewing tobacco and spits this giant gob. You know I'm gonna spit, right? <laughs> hey, you can take that back to Michigan, okay? <laughs> I I definitely want to get out of here now. And so, after 10 hours at the home in the holler, Mark and Rita said goodbye. The hosts said, come again. The guests knew they never would. It had been a long day, but they drove straight back to Michigan. That was 19 years ago. Mark and Rita clearly remember how uneasy they felt at the reunion. It was awkward and at times bizarre. They've never returned to West Virginia. But the story doesn't end there. Whenever Mark celebrates his birthday, he gets a present from the woman who gave him life. They usually talk on the phone around Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Mother's Day. What do you say? Um, I'd say it's me, and then we just start talking. And she knows why I'm calling, you know, but I don't actually say, you know, hi, Mom, or anything like that. It still hasn't, isn't to that point. What did your biological mother tell you about why she gave you up for adoption? She wasn't able to financially take care of, of what needed to be taken care of to have a child. She already had a child before me um, that her grandparents were taking care of. And so when I came along, 
um, they weren't able to sustain both of us, uh, the grandparents. And so they uh, told her that she'd have to put me up for adoption. How old was your mother? 16. What's it like to have a relationship now with your biological mother? It's not like having uh, another mother somewhere. It's like having someone that you know that you talk. It's like having a, a friend, you know, uh, a remote friend. I don't, I don't feel uh, like she's my mom or anything like that. Even though he doesn't call her mom, Mark's wife Rita points out they do have a relationship. A respectful relationship. You know, they talk to each other. They, they are like kindred spirits. They, they laugh at the same odd jokes. Mark asked us not to use his mother's name or the names of his other West Virginia relatives. He realizes they may take offense at his comments, which come from a northerner's perspective. They, they meant well, and they were showing me what they knew, you know, or what, what they, who they were. And uh, the fact that it doesn't coincide with who I am, it doesn't really matter because what it, it really comes down to is if, if people mean well and are uh, good-spirited people uh, and aren't menacing or, or, or have bad intentions, uh, it doesn't matter what, how the voice sounds. Or that, to me, that's, that's not a big deal. Is there any positive that we take from them? They're more traditional, it seems like. You know, like they're more focused on family, it seems like, a little bit... Uh, a little bit slower pace. They're very accepting. They're all about home and family, the people that we met. I, it's not our lifestyle. It's not something we want to go back or be a part of, but it's, it's, it's what it is. Do you, think, do you think she sensed how uncomfortable you were? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe not at, at the, the get-together, but... Uh, after we talked after afterwards, uh, you know, over the phone and everything, she probably was able to tell just by what I was saying about how things went down there. And we talked about how things went at the reunion and uh, that it was uncomfortable for us. And, uh, and she understood that. But since then, it's, it's, it's been, you know, that's kind of the thing of the past. Since the reunion, Mark's biological mother has had to deal with the deaths of many family members. Mark's father, her second husband, her youngest daughter, and Mark's stepbrother, who died from a heroin overdose. What, what if she had not given you up for adoption? Well, then uh, all of that would have seemed real normal to me. Uh, you know, I've been an advertising person. I've, I've been a vice president of, uh, of a scrapbooking company. Uh, I've, I've done a lot of, of things that I probably I wouldn't have done if I had ended up growing up in the holler. Did you make the right decision going down there? Yeah, because if, if I hadn't done that, I probably would have a different view on people from the South or people that live in the holler. Do you think you did something nice for them? Oh, yeah, definitely, because there's a closure aspect to it also just from the adoption thing where I was just gone and they knew I was there somewhere but when when we actually showed up and 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 brought the pieces together for them that that was a, a, a closure or a fulfillment. Mark's West Virginia family inadvertently did something nice for him. The reunion may have been a terrible 10 hours 
but he learned about their battles with diabetes and heart disease. After the reunion, Mark began getting regular checkups. A few years ago, two stents were placed in his heart, reminding him that when it comes to matters of health, he's tied to them. When Mark talks with his birth mother, the conversations last half an hour to 45 minutes. She tells him the latest adventures back in the holler, the comings and goings of people he doesn't know, the turtle she fed on her back deck after it rolled down the mountain, and this strange episode, which she shared a couple of years after it happened. She had a monkey at one time. It was, uh, she named it Bobo. Uh, the, the monkey got away, and the neighbor uh, shot it thinking it was a squirrel. <laughs> your, your mother told you this? Yeah, my, my mother told me that in, uh, in a phone conversation. Do you think she was pulling your leg with a story like that? No, she, never, she, doesn't, she doesn't ever pull my leg about anything. She doesn't have to. It, it's, the reality is, is stranger than what she could make up, I think. Years ago, she gave him away. Now, in spite of that distressing family reunion, she has him again. Their relationship is limited, but seems to be lasting. Mark Hawkins will always see his world as radically different from the world of Appalachia, but chances are the woman on the other end of those phone calls doesn't really mind. Thanks for listening. On our next episode, if you've watched TV or listened to radio any time over the last four decades, You've heard the music of Dan Yesian. He's an accomplished commercial jingle writer. But he always wanted to write something longer, something important. Is this something that I can actually pull off? And Am I going to be embarrassed by what I do? And will other people be embarrassed by what I did? I, I, did, I didn't know what to think. Mismatch is a production of Graham Media Group with WDIV Local 4 in Detroit. It's produced by Zach Rosen and written and narrated by me, Roger Weber. You can find us at mismatchpodcast.com. If you've been enjoying our show, please let your friends know about Mismatch and consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.